Okay, so it's about the concept of history and heritage being something that is created other than um, records and documents in the way that people have traditionally recorded those things. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. That's, that's, that's pretty much the, yeah, that's the crux. Yeah. Um, and how people see heritage. So if yeah, you can't okay. have a building, what do you do? Yeah, okay. Hello, I'm Katrina. And I'm Gracie. We work together as the Foundling Archive Victoria. We create exhibitions, events, publications and podcasts that look at Australian life, past and present, from the perspective of everyday Australians. The idea is to merge the sociological, the political and historical with the personal. We ask people to talk about what frustrates them, their hopes for themselves and the nation, what they wish they could change and what they wish we had retained, and to think critically about what is often dismissed as normal or ordinary. We're an independent, not-for-profit social history organisation based in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to episode two of From This Place, Remembering and Forgetting in Ballarat. This episode follows on from our conversation with Phyllis, a former inmate at Ballarat Orphanage. Phyllis is lamenting the loss of the Ballarat Orphanage site, a place where she remembers physical, emotional and sexual abuse, and where despite that abuse, a family was created from the children from various backgrounds who were brought into it. For better or worse, Phyllis sees the orphanage as this family's home. So here we are in episode two to talk more about the nature of heritage in Ballarat from a local's perspective. Erin McCuskey is a well-known figure around Ballarat, as a filmmaker and photographer, Erin documents the people, the places and ideas that she sees as important to her community. She's also a member of a local heritage advocacy group, the Ballarat East Network, a group developed by residents to support sustainable, good design that preserves what their website calls neighbourhood character. She has a passion for producing projects with human rights at their core and creating media that is thought-provoking and entertaining. You might remember Phyllis talking about a protest for the preservation of the Ballarat Orphanage site in episode one. Erin produced a short film documenting that rally and some of the perspectives of fellow campaigners at the invitation of Deborah Findlay, one of the protest organisers. We spoke to Erin on a windy winter's day in Ballarat, outside at a busy cafe in Lydiard Street, one of Ballarat's main drags. I'm a photographer and a filmmaker and, and I write as well so those skills are really useful in terms of recording stories and sharing stories, yeah. And I've always had a bent on the concept of story and on the concept of place as well. Where, where have you been our life? <laughs> in 1989, she established Yum Studio, a creative media company that aims to engage with mostly local audiences through story and cinematic stylings. Her short films, installations and commissions have screened both nationally and internationally, including at the Melbourne International Film Festival and White Night Ballarat. For me, developing an artwork that is about asking questions rather than stating an opinion are the works that actually will challenge and engage people in conversation. When you create something that says, this is what I think, it just 
it's just a promo, isn't it, really? So I'm much more interested in that version of art that challenges people, makes them think, think makes them feel. And, you know, just a quick Google search in Yum Studios and you can see how much you've actually done, how much work you've done recording Ballarat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting because you have this interest in the built heritage, but then the, the intangible and then making, so you're making the intangible, like, you know, physical, I guess, to destroy That stuff is probably more interesting to me. I think the concept of memory and how film and photo particularly is a medium for for making people feel often uh, so a lot of my stories you know may not have narration to it or, or may have some spoken word here and there but I rely on the techniques of film to to try and share share an emotion for people to actually feel something so that when they leave they feel like they've maybe touched a memory or you don't know, like memories you don't fully understand them you don't they don't you they don't come in a chronological order with a start and a middle and an end and but that's what story is so how so for me that's the interesting thing how we are able to dip in and out of memory and understand story as little pieces rather than one whole big piece yeah so for me it's also about supporting audiences and and communities to understand that things that that you love and cherish aren't necessarily all things you can hold in your hand either like buildings buildings are great but there's so much facadism going on How, like does that building still mean something? I don't, I, I don't know. What's the important thing about keeping a building? Is it, if it's just about the building, then really it doesn't matter in 50 years' time, you know, it's not going to matter so much, maybe a little bit. But if you have a way of uh, containing the happenings of that place, the memories of that place, how do you, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. So when you're filming people... I'm just trying to imagine you like filming that protest um, and you know what how do you feel knowing that so many people that there are there are hurt people there there are really passionate mm. sad stories but also such a drive to get something how do you feel with all that feeling coming at you particularly to, if you can remember that experience? oh yeah I remember it really clearly and the only reason I did it was because I had a I had a really good connection with Deb and a few of the other people and I was involved way before the protest actually happened so I I felt like I wasn't there as an outsider but I was there as an ally I already knew the story and I understood like the sadness and the and the grief and the awful way you know that these people had been treated but I also understood the joy of them gathering as well just for them to look into each other's eyes and I just thought if I can capture that if I can capture some of the joy as well as some of the sadness that's a better representation to me of of that protest and I think it's something that I that I don't know that's just generally what that's what I do so with there was probably a range of different audiences the first one for me was was there was the community so it was very much the forgotten Australians themselves as a community as they attempted to gather and join and find each other when there weren't any records they had to remember back 
you know, for 30, 40 years for names and, you know, numbers and try and find people. So it was to support that community's effort to establish themselves. So that was probably the that was probably the main audience. The second audience was Ballarat East Network to say there are such important things that happen out here. We need to be involved. We need to be documenting this, and we need to be talking about this. There's, there was a lot of people in the Ballarat East community who said things like, "Oh, look, they should just level at so many sad stories." So I would ask them, "How many forgotten Australians have you spoken to about that?" Oh, none, but that's just what I think. It's like, oh, okay, so completely disconnected from what some of the, those really heartfelt things that survivors um, were thinking of. Um, I'm going to ask a question, just a, a bit of a devil's advocate question, really. I'm just going to say, why, Erin, why are you bothering to do this? What is the value in this work and in documenting these stories when a lot of people, a lot of people have said things like, just forget about it, move on, mm. it's in the past, we don't want to hear about it, it's light on Ballarat's history. Mm demolish and move on. Yeah. For me, photography and filmmaking and writing those stories actually allows people to engage in it. So they feel something for it. And I think the only people who would say level it and get rid of it are people who haven't actually engaged emotionally in the topic at all. They've probably thought about it, sure. And the council's thought about it, for sure. And the government's thought about it. The developers have certainly thought about it. But the, the forgotten Australians themselves are reacting totally with heart. So how, how, do, you, how do you bridge that gap between, between thinking about something and feeling something? You have to create something that translates one for the other. And the beauty of what the, what the forgotten Australians, the, what they needed was for people to just understand even a little bit of what they'd been through. And to see it, as you say, as something important for this town, not just for this town, for this place and those survivors, but on a global scale, when we forget those stories or we bury those stories, they don't, they don't stay buried for long. They pop up again over and over and over and we're doomed to forever repeat this shit if we don't get our act together. You know, if, if governments don't get together and think about the way they put records together or the way they treat people. Then look at all the, the stuff that's happening with, um, with Manus and we're repeating this bullshit over and over and over again. So if art can create Art and story, I guess, together. If, if art and story can create some kind of medium to, so we can talk to each other, then, then that means that we're thinking, we're thinking with our hearts, not just our heads. Have you ever come across people who, um, who have said, oh, but you can't trust stories? Stories, yeah. yeah. It's their story. So actually, it has to it has to ring true if they are telling their story. Nobody else can actually tell their story. You can tell your story. I can tell my story. But what you think of my story is of no consequence to me. It doesn't matter to me. And and what I feel about your story shouldn't matter to you either. But but I'm someone who would engage with your story. But there are people who just go, nah, don't want to, don't want to know. And can you, can
Can you connect with those people that say I don't want to know? Uh, yeah, I think you can through art. Again, is the is the connector for me with story. Yeah. Do you think um, with all the media, it's been years now. Like just looking at this one site, do you think that there's a there's a point where people switch off and move on without? You know, they just kind of almost get like consumer fatigue yeah, with history yeah. and heritage and the truth. Yeah, like didn't we already decide something about that? <laughs> like, do I have to keep caring about something? <laughs> I know it's hilarious and 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 heartbreaking at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, but. I think people do get fatigued but I think that's almost in I think it kind of feels like a bit of a heritage is a bit like a garden to me some things come up and need immediate attention and need to be sorted out and beautified and while you're doing that you know another part of the garden is getting neglected or you know you haven't put the pathway in that you thought you would so I think people can swing from one thing to the other, but I think we can I think we can concentrate on more things and care about more things than we think we can. You know, I think we have big hearts and I think we can hold it all, but I think we just pretend sometimes we're a bit too tired. What you've got here with Forgotten Australians is a lot of people who've been silenced, which is different to a lot of people who are quiet again, I suppose. Um, and people are afraid too, I think. So they've kind of silenced themselves as well, in a way, because we do, it doesn't feel like such a welcoming society as it perhaps used to for a lot of people. You don't you don't stick your nose in. You don't if that's what you know if that's growth if that's progress, just go ahead and do it and just kind of leave me out of it. And I think, unfortunately, we've all lowered our gaze and lowered our standards about what we do around place and what we do around heartfelt understandings of people. Yeah. What would you do if you were in charge for that? Uh, I'd, I'd go to the Forgotten Australians and, ha- and, and talk with them about what, what they wanted, really, because it doesn't... It's, I believe it's really important to have a memorial. I really believe that, you know, a, a garden would be great. I think some artwork on the on the inside of the wall, which is such a figures so largely in the memory of the forgotten Australians, that I think that would be glorious and a, and a great way to support the people's understanding who see it. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what I think. I think it's really about what the forgotten Australians think and talking to them and you know sharing their stories. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing too, because there's not one. There is not one. Um, you know, for people, for all, for the forgotten Australians that say keep the building, there are also those who say no, get rid of it. So it's, there's That's right. some. There's, there's no one outcome that everyone agrees is a good outcome, other than I suppose the one thing that everyone wants to do in common is to not forget. Let we can, we cannot forget this. We cannot forget this. So for me, that's an that is something that they all believe. So if we can start from that point, I I reckon with time and effort. So that's the problem, and effort takes money. So how, like, I believe it would be, I believe you would get to some kind of compromise understanding with everybody. It'd take ages though, but you'd get there because they've got that one thing in common. They don't want anyone to forget. Yeah, because when we have the place, we're forced to remember. So 
when there is no place, then where does it exist? Only, only in people's hearts. And we know, like we were just talking about, that people are either frightened to talk up or feel like they don't have a voice. So where, where does it exist if you don't have the place? It's a bit like um, uh, loud fence. Sorry, uh, loud loud fence. fence. So the way that the community really has gathered to show support, how have they showed support? There's ribbons everywhere. And it's not just, you know, where, where the abuse has happened. They've popped up all over the place and opened up the question to the broader community. Like, what, what is it that we want to remember? How, like, how do we remember? Because, again, you had the same arguments coming up. We need to forget it so that we can move on. No, we need to remember so that we move on. So it's like Loud Fence was a way for people to um, engage in conversations about that. It was open, it was transparent, it was right in your face, and people couldn't ignore it. So those people who felt like they couldn't allow it to continue started cutting you know, um, ribbons off. Others would come again to, to redo it again the next day, you know. So they made a really big statement there about, actually, we are going to remember, while other people will, will work on the, no, no, we must forget. While for some, these colourful ribbons tied to the fences of places of worship, schools and other local landmarks serve as an imposition on the local contemporary landscape and an awkward daily reminder of a history they can neither change nor be allowed to forget. Those participating in the Loud Fence movement could be viewed as performing heritage in action, layering a new and preferred meaning over the old. This campaign could be regarded as a protest, not just against the sites themselves, or the institutions that they house, but of the current accepted yet difficult history of the sites. With little more than effort, the community is transforming and expanding the very meaning of these places from places of social stature that have caused pain, trauma and violence to monuments of hope and support. It is Ballarat in general seems to be willing to engage in the debate about what is history on, in public. You know, even if it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong or that kind of way, but it does seem like it's a place willing to talk about. Yeah, it may feel like that on the outside, yeah. I think. Sometimes from the inside, it appears not to be the case. Yeah, but, well, I don't know how other places... Well, actually, I do know how other places handle it. And it feels like to me that um, internationally they have a different way of dealing with it and we minimise a lot of stuff because it's almost like we were settled minimising stuff. So our natural way of going about things is to quash what came before. And that goes for, you know, First Nations people and culture. We stand on that to, to get to the next level rather than... Um, bringing, bringing that culture with us. At what point can we maybe get people together 
and facilitate a really open, honest and respectful conversation about this stuff. This is something that you wrote for the submission. I think it was a speech given to council way back in 2012. Uh -huh. It's not a test. It's like you look like you're like, <laughs> what did you mean by that? Just respond to your, just, it's just a response to your own words okay. coming back at you. Don't, it's not a what, what was happening in your life. Okay. <laughs> so we contribute, create and connect with our communities. We are online sharing our stories. We are in history and we are here now. Well, that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> For me, it's that it's 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 about community again, and about how we how do we consult? If council are only going to consult by sitting in the door and allowing a certain number of people in to talk to them and then let them out again, then we there's no opportunity for people to develop their opinions over time and over conversation. But people are doing that online. So I, I wonder why council don't look beyond, beyond their own machinations of how to do things and really engage with, with the community on, on those issues. Because when they don't, when they don't talk, they just go, what do you want? Do you want this or do you want this? We have no opportunity for developing anything. It's just we're just a num we just become a number. I say that and you say that one. <clears throat> but we are actually online talking about these things. It's an interesting <clears throat> point that you just raised, like when they give you two options, like they have done with the site, do we keep it, what do we keep, what do we, and like you said, it makes it all too easy then to say, well, even, you know, even care leavers are divided. It's a really easy way of dividing people yeah. um, and saying, well, are you in this camp or are you in that camp? Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, maybe the way forward is to ask the questions and then have that discussion about the one thing they all have in common and that's about. Yeah. You know, I mean, but they all want to remember. So, okay, so how can we do that? It's actually opening, uh, asking those open-ended questions because that when they say one or the other, it gives them the opportunity to step back in a way, like that objective kind of bullshit we were talking about before, that, you know, you can't tell me they're not invested in this. They're because they are invested. But to continue to go down there, well, we'll just vote on it, so many people miss out when it comes down to a vote. Yeah. What would be your advice to councillors, to people who you feel like possibly haven't listened or haven't been empathetic enough? How, what would be your advice next time there's an issue like this where you have emotions and trauma and, you know, places all involved together? On your soapbox. I just want, want people in authority to ask one question. What do you want your legacy to be? We're making history right now. We've made history, but we're making it now. So in their discussions and their deliberations and their consultations, ask the people what do they want their legacy to be? Because while we think about our own self-interest, we're not thinking about the future, we're only thinking about the past. And we, unless we think about the past in terms of the future, we're not thinking about legacy. So for me, that's, that's really what it's about. Thank you. Thank you so much for being so generous <laughs> with us. Oh, generous. I, I could talk forever about oh, this. Could could we? <laughs> so Laura Jane Smith is an Australian archaeologist. 
Smith's work looks at how heritage operates within a community and how it shapes individual identities. She's worked for years on this stuff. In one of her many books, Uses of Heritage, she writes, Heritage is not a thing. It is not a site, a building or other material object. While these things are often important, they are not in themselves heritage. Rather, heritage is what goes on at these sites. And while this does not mean that a sense of physical place is not important, the physical place or site is not the full story of what heritage can be. Smith wants to suggest that heritage is a cultural process that engages with acts of remembering. We have heritage because it helps us understand and engage with the present. So heritage begins with us. The meaning isn't in the bricks, it's in what we make of them. Yep. Um, so help us build a memorial of um, sorts. As we said in the first podcast, um, send us a picture of your favourite flower, your um, favourite tree in could your be local a neighbourhood. pot plant, a local gum tree or something in the park. Veggie garden. If you'd like to write a little note, you can. If you just want to send us a picture, a photo, get the kids to do a drawing, draw it yourself. A collage and scan something in. We don't care how you do it. Just please have a go. Um, and email it to aussiesarkup at gmail.com. Aussiesarkup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. Bye. Love you. <laughs>